0: Welcome to the Jesus Calling Podcast. Today we visit with singer-songwriter Ginny Owens, a two-time Dove Award-winning artist who has sold over a million records over the course of her career. Ginny candidly shares about how being blind since the age of three has affected her, but admits that her biggest challenge is doing battle with her own insecurities and being distracted from what's important by doubts and fear. Ginny's desire, through her music, is to remind herself and her listeners to allow God's perfect voice of love and truth to drown out all other voices, moving us to action.
1: My name is Ginny Owens, and I've been making music for like 15 or so years now. Um, Actually, maybe a little longer, maybe 17 years almost. I grew up in Jackson, Mississippi. My parents divorced when I was pretty young, so I live with my mom and my brother growing up. I lost my eyesight at the age of three um, due to a degenerative eye condition from my dad's side of the family, and um, that was not a huge surprise to my parents, and so they um, they were prepared, and they made sure that I Um, got to do all the things the neighbor kids did so I rode bikes and climbed trees and roller skated and did all the things that probably scared our neighbors half to death Um, but um, I I really didn't know that I was different until I went to school and to church which is where I realized that you know the problem wasn't necessarily that I was blind but it was that I didn't belong and um, that you know we all long to be accepted so just finding my place in a world that said you don't fit here—I um, think—kind of became, you know, a, a pretty uh, tremendous um, focus of my life. What I find over and over is the only way to truly counteract and 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 obliterate those voices of doubt and insecurity, and those voices that might even speak things that the world would say is true. I mean, the world would say, you are blind, therefore you are weak. You are weaker than the rest of us. You know, you're, you're not as uh, useful as the average bear. And that's, that's true. That's a world perspective, probably. Um, so I think the only way to counteract those voices, though, is to know really well and to hear and receive what God's voice says about us. God has said in his word so many truths about us. Um, that he has plans to prosper us and to give us a future and a hope. That he loves us unconditionally. That his uh, that his grace, that his mercy is new every morning. And as I went on in life, mom especially would figure out things that maybe I wouldn't know, and she would teach me those things. For instance, I remember when. I decided that I wanted to wear makeup, and I think I was maybe 10 or 11 when she finally said I could wear makeup. And I remember as I started to learn how to put on makeup, it was super stressful, and I thought, I'm never going to get this right, and I immediately wanted to give up. And she said, you will put on makeup, and you will like it. Um, Well, not exactly. But she just said, you know, if you don't learn how to do this now, people are going to think that, you know, oh, poor girl, she just can't do it. And you have to remember people are going to hold you to a higher standard because they're going to expect you not to be able to do things. So even if you're just tired and you don't want to put on makeup, you still should, because um, it's important that people know that you can. But she, you know, is the same with ironing clothes. I, My brother and I both learned to iron when we were, you know, 10, I think, or 11. And um, it was the same thing of just, if, if your clothes aren't pressed, people are going to think it's because you can't. And so I do think there were those kind of things that my mom um, made me aware of that as a blind person I might never have known. But other than that, I think my parents were just awesome about saying, go be a normal kid. <laughs> I always loved music, but I was super shy and I was always nervous um, when it was my chance to perform on stage. So. Um, I, I was in choir and band and I'd always have a solo and I'd always just, my voice would shake and I, I just would think, I'm never doing this again. Um, so I um, I swore that I would never major in music. And also there was just this stereotype that blind people do music because that's what they can do and I really didn't like that either. So I planned to be a journalist or Um, You know, work in in youth ministry or um, work in counseling, be a counselor, Um, and of course I got to college and I immediately became a music major because God has a sense of humor and I just couldn't stay away. I still would play music that I had written um, for different events, but I thought, well, you know, practically, I mean, everyone here in Nashville, I went to Belmont University and so I thought, everyone here in Nashville wants to be musician so I should just you know plan to do something else. I thought I was gonna be a high school music teacher but ended up probably being one of the only people in Nashville that was praying for that job and ended up uh, getting signed as a songwriter and uh, getting signed to a record deal instead Um, but I'm so glad that God had that in mind because it's been so much fun to get to travel around and meet people and write songs about their life and about my life and what God um, is teaching me and so I was on a label with the artist that I did most of my touring with um, in my first few few years of, of being on the road and that was just so special um, because I loved all their music and so we would all you know sit around and sing on each other's songs and um, it was just a blast it really couldn't have been any more fun so um, yeah I, I think I had just I was I was the luckiest girl with, with, with that scenario just being able to it was me and uh, Nathan and Christy Knuckles and Chris Rice and uh, then Sean Groves came along and uh, oh and Cindy Morgan was around she was uh, writing for the label at the time and so yeah we were just thoughtful songwriters and, and you know folks who loved music and um, it was just really really special so special. and It was a lot of work and, and a lot, you know, people can tell you, man, every artist doesn't have it this good and every artist isn't this busy uh, when they first start. But all you know is all of a sudden you're never home. You're not connecting with your friends at all. There's no community. And um, so I think in, in uh, retrospect, I wish that I had been a little bit more prepared for that and wish I had known the importance of really holding on to the things that were most valuable at home and making sure to make time for those. My mom had been diagnosed with cancer with advanced stage breast and lymph node cancer and so I moved home to take care of her. And the day that I moved home, I remember my grandfather passed away. Um, He had been really sick and it just felt like a really overwhelming season. And uh, she was overwhelmed. Um, I, as her daughter was kind of overwhelmed, just how do I, you know, I don't know, should I be spiritually encouraging her here? Should I just be walking with her through this, you know, and, and what, what do we do with, with what the doctors say? And I don't know, just all of it seemed very, um, very overwhelming. That's the only word that comes to mind. So she did chemo and and radiation and surgery, and she actually is cancer free now, uh, which is amazing. And I know that is not always the the story. But um, I remember just for for a while after going through that that eight or nine month process, just this pervasive like anxiety and just loneliness and god where are you i don't hear you i don't understand and i remember discovering this verse um that paul wrote to the philippians um from prison which is super interesting to me because all of philippians is or philippians is very much about joy and um finding peace and being gentle and and he's in prison and i'm just think i would not write that from prison Um, but he says, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And it goes on to say the verse we all know, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. I realized Paul knew something I did not know. He had such a large view of Christ. Christ wasn't there to just fulfill his desires or to give him rest, but Christ was his all. And he knew that Jesus was always holding him, that he would be until eternity. Um, He knew that he had hope forever. And he just, he also knew that Christ had been through far darker, the most dark circumstances that could ever uh, occur. Well, I want Jesus to bring me comfort or to bring me peace, or I want to be with Jesus today so that he will bring me peace or so that I can ask him for these things. And so, to think about just following him so that I uh, serve him and so that I do what he has designed for me, that it's about looking to him um, and that my fulfillment comes not in him fulfilling my desires, but in me living close to him. As you read Jesus calling, you know, like let it call you to also go and just discover more about him and where did he where did he say these things or you know how how has he spoken these truths from you know for 2,000 years like how did he speak these truths to people 2,000 years ago and um I don't know I I, I love the way that she that she um that she speaks I'm trying to even think of how to say it but just the way that she brings Jesus truth to life I think this is in September. It says, find fulfillment through living close to me, yielding to my purposes for you. Though I may lead you along paths that feel alien to you, trust that I know what I am doing. If you follow me wholeheartedly, you will discover facets of yourself that were previously hidden. I love how she pulls out simple truths, simple yet profound truths that Jesus says to us, which are there in his word and she has found a way to make them uh, even more accessible. What I have missed for so much of my adult life is that the only way, though, to really believe those truths is to live in them, to sit in them, to memorize them, and to just keep coming back and, and, uh, and praying through them, and to ask God to to speak them even louder to us and to show us even more the weight and the depth of what those truths are that that he believes and that he says about us.
0: Ginny's latest album, Love Be the Loudest, is an album about love's incredible power to conquer the darkness and to bring about hope and change. Portions of proceeds from Ginny's record go to organizations that help people, including Compassion International, The Next Door, and Hope House. Jenny describes how she hopes listeners will find encouragement to seek God's voice above all others through her songs.
1: Part of my motivation uh, on the new record was really wanting to write some, um, some music with some of the fun sounds and rhythms that I was hearing, but uh, to labor over the lyrics uh, and, and make them say something um, hopeful and positive and helpfully deep. The Loudest Voice, which is essentially the title track, is a song about about, uh, just crying out to God for His voice. wrestling with how to share about and how to even understand for myself what it looks like for those of us who are believers to uh, let God's voice of love and truth really impact not only our hearts and and not only coming into time with Him every day, but also just how it impacts our lives. Like How do we go and and be and do um, as He has called us to? Um, you know, with with love at our core, with uh, you know pouring out of love, not pouring out of okay. If I'm a good Christian, this is what I should do, um, but but pouring out of the love that He has poured into us. But first, we have to receive that love, and we can't receive that love in, unless we go back to Him uh, every day and and find that find that love, um, and rediscover it and discover new parts of it. So so the whole record's really about that. It's just what does it look like for God's voice of love and truth to be dominant in our lives, and how does that change our lives?
0: For more information on Jenny's new record and where she'll be in concert, please visit JennyOwens.com. We'll be right back with the second half of our show and our interview with writer Shauna Shanks after this brief message from Audible. As a special offering to you, the listeners of The Jesus Calling Podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. Find your favorite Sarah Young titles, including Jesus Calling and Jesus Always, in an audiobook version, and get it for free by trying audible.com. Check out a small sample of The Jesus Calling Audiobook featured at the end of this podcast. To download an entire free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com/jesuscalling. Again, that's audibletrial.com/jesuscalling for your full free audiobook. Now, on to the second half of our show. Shauna Shanks is a wife mother, and the author of A Fierce Love, One Woman's Courageous Journey to Save Her Marriage. Shauna and her husband Micah, who is a police officer, have been married for more than a decade. Shauna's world was rocked when her husband announced that he no longer loved her and wanted a divorce. Shauna talks about how she faced the shock and rejection of her husband's actions and how she endeavored to live by the words of 1 Corinthians 13 as she determined to restore her marriage.
2: I'm Shauna Shanks, and I have been married to my husband, Micah, for 14 years this November. We have three boys. Um, we have a five-year-old, seven-year-old, and a 12-year-old. I grew up here in Ohio, and I my mom was a children's pastor for 12 years at the church that uh, we go to now. So I'm a church girl. Um, I wanted to be a missionary when I was a kid, so we were the kind of family that, if the doors were open, we were there. you know, where we were here? We were uh, Sunday mornings Sunday evenings, Wednesdays, you know, back in the day they had they scheduled revivals and you would go to these you know camp meeting even things. <laughs> and um, you would go to services a lot. We went to uh, Bible camp. I knew Micah. I guess when we were in preschool classes at um, the church that we were going to at the time, well, I guess we were in preschool classes together, which I didn't know that for years later. But so I had known his, I'd known his family growing up. I actually went to school with his sister. Um, I knew his mother because she ended up going to the church that we attend now, um, off and on. And so I just knew because she would pop in and she would pop out and that she really struggled with you know, drug addiction, which is not uncommon, unfortunately, in this Southern Ohio where I live. So by the time I graduated high school, all I wanted to do was um, just learn more about Jesus. I went to college, I actually went to Bible college in Dallas um, at Christ for the Nations. And I married my husband, we moved to California. He was actually a youth pastor at the time um in redwood valley california and we moved back here when we started having kids and we have been here ever since i decided to marry micah because he was just so driven and just not i mean didn't struggle with that kind of thing at all and in fact people um make comments even now like i can't believe how far micah has come with what he had with where he came from. A lot of people, you know, when they grow up that way, um, they kind of fall apart and they're not equipped to deal with things. But, you know, he actually went to Bible college too. He's always, you know, he had a steady job always. You know, we got married, we started having kids. He's always a good provider. I mean, there was just nothing, like no red flags, like, oh, I shouldn't, you know, get into this family because there's drug addiction in the history. When we started having marital problems, I did think, you know, I I, I guess maybe at first I gave him more grace because I thought, well, he doesn't know any better. He didn't have, you know... um a healthy upbringing, Um, and that that was evident a lot, actually, just, you know, you would think that some people would be equipped, more equipped to handle pressure and things like that, that I felt like he just wasn't equipped sometimes, and I, of course, I always just blamed his childhood, but we probably all do that, you know, (laughs) like, to an extent, like, when things, when I, when I mess up, I'm like, well, I never was taught that as a child, or that's her fault, or whatever, so, I mean, I think it was just normal stuff, I was blindsided when he asked me for a divorce. Um, people have asked me, actually, someone just asked me this morning, like, you didn't know, come on. You didn't know, you had no clue. And I'm like, no, I had. I had no clue. A couple years before that, this had all happened, like, we were in a, in a stride, I thought, you know. I, I'd honestly never been happier in my marriage, and so um, to realize that, I mean, when he, he didn't just ask me for a divorce, he said, Shauna, I... Didn't think this would be a surprise to you. I've not been happy for a long time. I'm not attracted to you. I haven't been attracted to you for a long time. I mean, he literally thought it was going to be mutual. And he was shocked when I started crying and I told him that's not what I wanted. It had been probably 10 years since I'd started having kids and that we had settled into this kind of routine. Um, We struggled um, with, you know, finances, you know, all the typical stuff that people struggle with um, over time. But we have three kids. We're busy. We're. It's almost like, you know, you get your business partners in your own family because you're taking a kid here, you're not sleeping very well and all that. And I just was in the mom zone thinking that this is typical and it's a season. So I had no idea how unhappy he was. At first I was so heartbroken, but immediately... I was also thinking about bills and thinking about the kids and where are they going to go to school and are we going to sell the house and what am i going to do with this big stupid house i don't want to live in it without him i remember my my youngest was two at the time and so he was on a bottom bunk and he was crying in the middle of the night so i got up to go sleep with him um i would lay with him until he was comforted and it was i was in his bottom bunk when i just kind of snapped myself out of it, and I'm like, Shawna, you have to get up in a couple of hours and take care of these kids, and life goes on, and you can't just worry about everything, so um, I pleaded with the Lord, and I said, God, you are going to have to help me here. Please just give me one thing that I can focus on, instead of focusing on the house and the cars and the schools and all of that, Like, just please just give me one thing, and he gave me two. He said, hope and endure, and... I was so relieved to hear Him say that, that I didn't even realize the miracle that God had spoken and I had heard Him, but immediately when I heard those words, it was such a comfort to me. It was like, you know, getting a massage or something, like all of those things kind of drained away and I'm like, okay, don't have to worry about all that stuff. Like He told me hope and endure, so that was my new task. Immediately after that, I thought of 1 Corinthians 13 because both of those words are in those verses. Um, love is patient, love is kind, it doesn't envy, it doesn't boast. And then there towards the end, it says, always hopes, always protects, it it always endures. And um, so I started studying that also. That kind of was my lifeline. Two weeks later, after he asked me for the divorce, he admitted that he was having an affair. I felt like I couldn't sign divorce papers right away because that would be like giving up. And I just felt in my spirit that that was wrong. So when he told me that he was having an affair, I went back to 1 Corinthians 13, and I was like, these scriptures didn't change. My circumstances changed, but these scriptures didn't. And I didn't feel any prompting from the Lord to do otherwise than what He'd already told me to do. And honestly, it became like I was in this little bubble, you know, shielded from, I should have been a mess. I should have not been able to pull myself together and, you know, do all the tasks and just be calm. And I was calm. And so I felt like as long as God is keeping me calm, I just took it as the Lord is, this is the work of the Holy Spirit. This is not me. And as long as He doesn't leave me and as long as He empowers me to do this, um, ended up being what I call a love filter because I would filter my reactions and my thoughts towards Micah with those words. So if what I wanted to say wasn't patient and kind and long suffering and keeping a record of wrong, and all of those things, not jealous and not rude. If if what I wanted to say or do didn't fit that criteria, it didn't make it through the filter and so I couldn't do it. So as you can imagine there was a lot of there was a lot of quiet in the house because sometimes, you know, it's like you tell your kids if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. So I just um, was quiet a lot and just writing things down, which I think was, um, which was where the book was born. And it was therapeutic for me, but it was also um, for my husband. He was shielded from all that stuff that he would have got had I not been in that bubble. And so I don't know that our marriage would be this restored now had I gone to Him with all of that stuff, because He wasn't in a position or in a place to accept it at the time. I was just thankful that God gave me something to do, Um, so I was trying to do it. But looking back, I see that um, oftentimes we want to be disciplined when we want to be disciplined, but consistency is so key. And I came to look at 1 Corinthians 13 and the Word of God as not just suggestions to make my life better, but these were commandments. He was commanding me to live my life, not just like 1 Corinthians 13, but like, these aren't just mere suggestions. Like, I kind of just felt like in that season, like I'm going to get in or out. Either I'm going to do this God thing or I'm not. And if I'm going to do it, I'm going to take it literal. I asked him for his help. It's silly to not let him do what he says in that situation. So my husband, I, I feel like I have to go back and kind of explain where he was at that time. Like I said, I didn't know that he was that miserable. Um, So he was kind of in this rebellious state with the Lord where my life's been hard. My whole life has been hard and I gave it to you anyways. I went to Bible college. I served you. I do everything right. Like I provide for my family and I'm just miserable. You told me that I would have a good life and you didn't hold up your... And I'm not fulfilled kind of a thing. And he just kind of rebelliously and figuratively shook his finger at the Lord and was like, I'm going to go do this. And he said he was so miserable at the time that he was willing to lose it all. He didn't care um, about losing our marriage. He just assumed, you know, people get divorced all the time and share the kids. Like that's, it's so common that it's not like the end of the world. He was just justifying it all that way. And so he's already had this conversation with God, like I'm cool with whatever backlash happens because I'm mad at you. I remember, I still remember shutting the computer and saying, okay, God, then you better teach me because I don't know what I'm doing. Um, And I felt like if I told my family and, you know, all of my circle, they they may not join me in the little God bubble, you know. And even if he ever did want to reconcile, which he didn't seem like he wanted to, but if he ever did, I thought that would be so much harder for him to come back with everyone knowing and judging him. And the in 1 Corinthians 13, it says, love always protects. And I felt like telling everyone that he was having an affair would not protect him. And so I didn't because I was on the list. <laughs> and um, so here he is again, back to that moment where he's telling God, like, I'm prepared to lose everything and like nothing happened. <laughs> there was like the moment that he was waiting for the great buildup and he was like waiting for his phone to start blowing up and people to come over and moving trucks and all that. And like none of it happened. There was like no fanfare at all. Um, and then what slowly started trickling in was just the grace of God. I ended up telling people um, that God prompted me to tell on his side. So his um, sister, not one that he grew up with, but um, a half-sibling sister um I shared with her and I shared stuff with his Aunt Jan. So it was from his family, godly women, who I knew wouldn't just be on my side because they love Micah and they want what's best for him, and the Lord allowed me to share it with them. So not only was God softening my heart for Micah, but these family members started showing up and doing things for us and you know, just showing him grace. And it was like the grace of God in such a tangible way for him. So uh, I think that he was shocked by me, but more than that, he was just shocked by—he knew that that was God's response to him, you know? And I just can't even imagine—like I've gone through it and I still can't fathom the grace of God in in that way and how much He loves us. But I knew that, again, like each day He sustained me and empowered me. So even if my marriage didn't work at the end, I knew that he wasn't going to just let me crumble and defeat and be defeated. Um, I was being changed in that season. And when I learned how much God loved me, it really kind of stopped mattering how much my husband loved me or not. Like I didn't feel needy like I thought that I would have, you know, because I just didn't feel like I had any need because God just, you know, he's near to the brokenhearted. He says that in scripture, but it's so true. and he is present his holy spirit is is there as a just there as a fixer <laughs> he fixes everything and so um so yeah that's kind of how i dealt with the rejection because i was feeling rejection from my husband but overall like i wasn't rejected i wasn't defeated i wasn't lacking because i received all of that from god my friend kim She was studying Jesus calling. I didn't really know about Jesus calling. She would send me Jesus calling excerpts right in the middle of a moment where I needed it so bad. And it was, there were times where it was literally like my phone would beep and I would pick it up. And it may as well have been Jesus Christ standing in my living room, like, here, take this, take this. And it came—and it's so silly, because you're just reading it on an iPhone, you know, that doesn't seem sanctified and holy, but like I would read that, and it was like, I am in the audience of the Lord right now, and this is a sacred place. When you are going through something like that, um, and you get an encouragement at a time like this, you don't really forget it. As someone who is seeking the Lord out of desperation and then He shows up, that's just, it's life-changing. God had to do changes in Micah, which is why I think God wanted me to just be quiet. It was kind of like, I'm trying to work here, could you just go over there and shush? (laughs) Um, So I couldn't really do anything um, other than just watch and wait and pray and do my job, which was, you know what I felt like I needed to do to be obedient to the Lord. It was evident that God was working in him, working in his heart, like people would just walk up to him and be like, can I lay hands on you and pray for you? I mean, just stuff that had never happened before. So it was just, and honestly, like these little moments. So I started journaling um, right in the middle, like almost from the beginning. He told me this in the middle of October and by the end of November, like I I had like scribbled a bunch of journals. So I continued doing that until like, Um, the end of April, which by the end of April, like our marriage was restored. I mean, it's not perfect even today, but like by then, like I felt healed. You know, like I didn't feel like it was this long process. It was such like a journey, you know, of, of my faith growing. Like it maybe wasn't like one big miracle, but like my faith grew with each little thing and I I rejoiced to each little thing, and I looked forward to every day, was literally like, okay, God, what are you going to do today? (laughs) You're not going to leave me. Like, what are you going to do? And so it was like this exciting adventure that I was on, actually.
0: To find out more about Shauna's book, A Fierce Love, visit shaunashanks.com. Next time on the Jesus Calling Podcast, we visit with actor and author Greg Allen Williams, who starred in the Pure motion picture, All Saints, based on the true story of a salesman turned pastor, Michael Spurlock. And we also talk with Mark Batterson, New York Times bestselling author of Play the Man, Becoming the Man God Created You to Be. Here's an excerpt of our interview with Greg Allen.
3: You know, we know that God is wise and infinite and all-knowing and that's the case, then he knows that I'm a knucklehead. He knew I was a knucklehead kid. If I can get out of my own way, you see, because that's what blocks me from God. It's me, it's my fear, it's my ego. That's what blocks me. So if I can get out of my own way, then maybe, then maybe, I can, you know, have my ears and my eyes open long enough to, to hear what He's saying to me, to receive the gifts that He has for me, and the understanding and the peace and the joy uh, that He has for me. And I've experienced that.
0: Our featured passage for today comes from the September 16th entry of the Jesus Calling audiobook.
3: I designed you to live in union with me. This union does not negate who you are. It actually makes you more fully yourself. When you try to live independently of me, you experience emptiness and dissatisfaction. You may gain the whole world and yet lose everything that really counts. Find fulfillment through living close to me, yielding to my purposes for you. Though I may lead you along paths that feel alien to you, Trust that I know what I am doing. If you follow me wholeheartedly, you will discover facets of yourself that were previously hidden. I know you intimately, far better than you know yourself. In union with me, you are complete. In closeness to me, you are transformed more and more into the one I designed you to be.
0: Hear more great stories about the impact Jesus Calling is having all over the world. Be sure to subscribe to the Jesus Calling podcast on iTunes. We value your reviews and comments so we can reach even more people with the message of Jesus Calling. And if you have your own story to share, we'd love to hear from you. Visit JesusCalling.com to share your story today.